Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live business and market streaming channel. It's great to have your company just gone midday Eastern. That means it's time for the call. Two stocks, or 10 stocks rather, two experts, and we give you a bit of direction on what to do with those stocks in the next hour or so. And terrific to have uh, Andrew Page from Strawman with us. Uh, Andrew, good to see you. Great question. And Julia Lee from uh, Berman Invest. Julia, good to see Great you as to be well. Here. And uh, we're going to start getting stuck into uh, the 10 stocks that you've suggested in just a moment. But first up, stock of the day. It's a stock I choose, something that's been sort of of interest and in the media. I thought we'd take a look at Temple and Webster. It's been a, a bit of a favourite of the call over the last couple of months. Um, this is the online retail. Its full year revenue was released um, uh, yesterday, has spiked by almost three quarters to $176 million as the coronavirus lockdown played into the hands of the online retailers. Um, it's a homewares retailer, of course. It says customers are up 77% compared with a year ago. Uh, last month, Temple and Webster raised $40 million from shareholders to help bolster its digital offering following the surge in sales during lockdown. So, uh, Julia, Temple and Webster, what do you think of the revenue? Its uh, share price um, mm. increased yesterday, valued the company at a billion dollars <laughs> for the first time. So, it's a sort of um, um, new billion dollar company coming through is it? I like this one and I, I like it because still even at this share price even at these levels I know okay. it looks expensive but when you are seeing upgrades and momentum coming through yep. those multiples can fall very quickly and that's exactly what we're seeing at Temple and Webster if you have a look at their full year numbers that were released 74% growth in revenue but the key is if you have a look at the second half then we saw yep. revenue up by 96% and then if you compress it down even further and the fourth quarter Revenue was up by 130%. Wow. So you're seeing accelerating momentum. So I don't think you want to be selling into a story like this. And the great thing about this business is that it has fixed costs. So once you see an acceleration in terms of momentum, investors get a lot of froth off the top, which is what you want to see. Right. Those fixed costs remain stable and those extra sales go down to the profit line. So right. Temple and Webster, I think a great um, stock for these times. And obviously COVID-19 has accelerated that structural trend to online. And look, I think it's Eight going bucks to- <laughs> The key here is- Look um, at March. <laughs> Uh, that was this year, March, $1.50. Mm. Sometimes there's a concern that things that happen during a period for a reason might reverse out. Um, so Temple and Webster, when the lockdown's finished, perhaps growth won't be as good. But the key here is that repeat customers also went up as well. And right. that's important. What we saw during things like the global financial crisis is that we did see migra migration in terms of retail. So people, instead of shopping at premium department stores, shopped at Walmart. 
but after the global financial crisis had passed, those customers remained sticky. So it wasn't wow. like those customers okay. were lost. They were new customers that were retained forever. So um, okay. I think All Temple right. and Webster. Tech from Julian. Here. Andrew, what about you? Yeah, I, I have to say I like it too. Um, you say it's a billion dollar company. It was only 200 million not that long ago. So in things, March. Things have just <laughs> grown phenomenally there. And as Julia's pointed out, the sales there are accelerating, which is great. Um, what I like about this business as well is it's very close to this sort of break-even inflection point. I mean, they've, they've moved yeah. that through that, but as Julia is 100% on the money here, when those sales, are, when those costs are steady, after that point, you just get gross margin dripping like beautiful hot butter straight to the bottom line. Yeah. Um, and so it can go very, very, very well. Um, they've got a strong uh, cash balance, they're debt free. Um, it's a lovely business model. They do what's called drop shipping. So they don't look after the, the warehousing and distribution. So they, they have no inventory. They, they just pass it through to the manufacturer who then delivers it directly from them. Yep. So it's a lovely, lovely business model. Um, yes, it does look expensive. It's one of the real troubles I think we all have as investors is this problem of anchoring. We sort of look at $8 and that looks expensive because it was $2 not that long ago, $1.50 yeah. not yeah. that long ago. Um, and but it have, been, have we missed the boat? Is it have a, we missed is, the boat? Is it a bubble? Yes, but I mean it could have been sixteen dollars, you know, a, a, a few months ago, and now. Like, what matters today is what is it worth today? Yeah. What are my earnings like going forward? So from an, an enterprise value to EBITDA, so sort of like a PE kind of multiple, it's about twenty five. It's not that's not crazy for a company with one hundred and thirty percent sales growth in, in the final quarter and and a lot of operational uh, leverage in there. So it looks good. Do need to bear in mind though that there's probably been a bit of a sugar hit from people not being able to get furniture in the traditional way. Yeah. Um, so the question is whether they can maintain that very high rate of sales growth. But I need to do more due diligence on it. But I think it's very interesting. Okay. Um, so yes, from Julia, a watch. Watch, yeah, maybe, from maybe from me. And, yeah. and it's Julia. It reminds me of when Kogan started, <laughs> and Kogan took off. Everyone went, oh, gee, it's not going to last. You Amazon, know, what's yeah, going Yeah, Amazon's going to kill it. Uh, you can't keep this pace up. But once, I know we had to buy a fridge the other week and mm. we bought it online just from, I think it was literally from a place called Fridges Online. Um, and she went, big ticket item, never bought something as big like that yeah. online before and go, it was such a great experience. Yeah. And so... You sometimes think whether people who try this Temple and Webster um, sort of style of shopping, who have never done it before, go, oh, that's easy. Why do I keep doing it? Absolutely. And I think that's why. And that's why I have a Kogan, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, the repeat customer is really important. Because yeah. once you have that customer base, you can expand your range and sell other things as well. The thing that Temple and Webster has as an advantage is first mover advantage. So they've yeah. got all these customers on their books now. A competitor's going to find it a bit more difficult to try and eat away at that market share. So look, first mover advantage, great platform, mm. ease of use, repeat customers, strong growth rate. And it is in that family sort of under 45 type customer base, isn't it? Which is tech, it is. tech savvy. I mean, one thing, one thing to watch is it is a discretionary kind of product, okay? And it's a very large ticket. Oh, yeah. I'm so- Going you know, into a recession. You yeah. know, in a recession, yeah. potentially in a depression, frankly. Yeah. Um, it is it is Ooh, something to- <laughs> I heard the other day, it's these funny definitions, but two years of, of no growth. I a lot of people sort of saying that's that's not unreasonable. So um, yeah. it conjures up a lot of, all I'm saying, all right. let's, let's not get stuck in semantics. It's a very bad recession. <laughs> and and these are these 
are very much discretionary <laughs> items. Maybe they've pulled through a bunch of yeah. sales, but just something okay. to be mindful of. Uh, but Templar-Webster, uh, a tip from Julia and uh, certainly a watch from Andrew. Let's get stuck in to your stocks. Uh, Steve uh, wants an opinion on Oswide Bank. Um, used to be the Wide Bay Australia uh, Bank um, and located in Bundaberg, a regional bank. Has an asset base of about $3 billion, Julia. I like this one. It sort of runs under the radar a bit, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, when you have a look at the banking space, most of the banking space is, you know, struggling for growth. But this is a bank that is up and coming. So it's a regional bank with a growth story, which is unusual in this sector. And the key with regional banks is customer relationships. And one thing yep. that Oswide Bank does really well is it has this strong service focus, um, which is really important when it comes to regional Australia and developing uh, these relationships. So look, it's in fast banking regional areas which is great and if you have a look at the last five years every single year we've seen net profit growth which is mm. incredible to see in an environment where the big four banks have been struggling because of lower interest rates it's got strong tier one capital it's got higher than system growth I guess the only negative here is that because of COVID-19 you would expect to see higher provisioning their provisioning at the moment I think mm. is relatively low if you compare it against what the big four banks have said so you'd expect that to be higher but look in is terms it liquid of because uh, when you look at particularly the one year uh, chart there there are lots of you know fair, yeah. yeah yeah that the share price that doesn't move so it's a $3,176 worth of shares traded today uh, okay all right and then so those two hours of trade so, yeah. so pretty liquid yeah. yeah yeah um so you like it yeah I think it's um, a, a growth bank in an area where you are okay. seeing declining growth but having said that, you know, the usual challenges for the banking space um, because of the very low interest rate environment. Yeah. Um, but having said that, you know, strong capital, pay above system growth, uh, it should pay a dividend. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. One of the few banks. Don't have my laptop <laughs> with me. <laughs> Andrew? I'm a bit embarrassed. I'd never heard of these guys before. Uh, yeah. um, and they're, they're a very, very, very small player. Put that in perspective. Commonwealth Bank is 630 times larger on a market cap basis. Right. Mm. So that's a lot bigger. Yeah. Um, uh, and and you, you probably argue there are some advantages with, with scale um, here. Look, um, Julia's right. I'm just going off some numbers I've, I've, I've brought up on Comtech here, but the, the, the earnings growth has been there, but it's been very, very slow. Um, I'm just, I, I, I'm wary of the banks in general and have been for a while. And frankly, they've not delivered much for return to shareholders, even with dividends included. Um, I, I think you to really have a good picture of the banks, you've got to zoom out a couple of decades and understand some of the structural forces that have been in play here. I mean, we've had a we've had a massive property boom. Mm. We've had a huge increase in household debt. So, I mean, this is the bank. A bank's product is is money, and they've been selling a lot of their product mm. uh, for a long, long period of time. We've had the introduction of the two-income family and all of these, well, the, the growth and all of that kind of stuff. So, and and, and no recession for twenty eight years or whatever it's been. So it's been a phenomenal set of circumstances for the banks and they've produced phenomenal wealth for a lot of mum and dad shareholders. I think the problem is is that people then extrapolate that forward and they forget that actually banks are cyclical. Banks are hypercyclical. We yeah. just haven't had a cycle uh, in, in, in this. So it's a lot of that kind of stuff is masked. Julie is 100% right. I, I think that what you're going to see here is you're going to see a big increase in, in provision, bad provisions. It's going to be a harder lending environment going forward. 
The, the argument from the bulls is possibly that, look, it's in the price. It's a 7% yield, assuming they can maintain the dividend. The PE is on about 10. So you're not paying up a lot for this, right. but you've got to wonder how easy is it to take share in, in this space when you're up against absolute monsters there yeah. and you're going into a very, very tough time economically. So for me, it's, it's a pass. Um, but as I said, I, sure. up, until, up until a few hours ago, I was never aware of it. So. Yeah, okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, Steve, thank you for suggesting it. Uh, that's what we love about the call. We come across all these stocks that uh, have been off our radar. Um, Izzy, um, Andrew, wants an opinion on G Medical Innovations. Now, these are a mobile health monitoring devices, isn't it? So yep. um, usually when you go out of hospital and they want to keep monitoring hearts and sort of patients from, from home, yep. uh, these are the guys, this is... The the company that produces all the equipment. Telehealth and all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's defi definitely a growing industry. Um, again, I wasn't aware of these guys, so they'll have, they've got a couple of different products. One will sort of remotely do ECGs and um, yeah. uh, temperature and a whole range of stuff that's sent back. The user can enter in a, a bunch of manual sort of details and it allows, takes a lot of burden off the, off the um, hospitals, a, a, a lot more efficient, all of this kind of yeah. stuff. So really great sort story. Of home care. Almost, is that? It yeah. is. It's exactly yeah. that. And, yeah. and it, it's a really great story and it's a really great space. And so you, you can understand why people are interested at it. From the chart there, you can see it's also very, very illiquid uh, as yeah. well and really hasn't had a great run over the last uh, year or so. Um, they are cash flow negative. They're burning just in the last quarter. They, they burned through about $700,000. Um, the thing to remember here is that this space, while very exciting, the, these guys don't have it all to themselves. In fact, no. far, far, far from it very 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 competitive it's very very slow sales cycles in this kind of space um, they've had to issue shares lots of shares uh, uh, just to sort of stay afloat in fact the share count has doubled since 2017 and they're now sitting and i've just done this roughly just pro ridering the last quarter's sales results they're sitting on about a price to sales ratio of five so there's a lot there in that price right. for a business that is admittedly growing off, off so, off, so off you're paying price. five times revenue five times revenue right. okay. and and um you know these 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 metrics are always pretty rough but they're a yeah. useful starting point yeah, they're yeah. a useful rule of thumb and for me what i would want to do is i'd really want to dig into the competitive landscape here i mean what is what is their market share? Who are the players they are up against? What's, what, what, um, what opportunity do they see and how realistic is it to kind of get there? And can they have the cash to support them through to that transition? Yeah. So there's a lot of hurdles to overcome. It's that kind of business that if they make it, it'll be fantastic. You yeah. know, buy it now, back up the truck and do brilliant. But statistically, um, you, you, haven't yet. you haven't yet. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of companies out there that are gunner companies and they're right. always gunner companies. So uh, look, as I said, I've, I'm not, I haven't been aware of this company. The detail, devil is always in the detail. Yeah. But for Izzy's sake, I would say, forget the share price chart, forget all this kind of stuff. Actually look at what they do, try and understand the industry. That's where yeah. the real insight will come because a business like that, as you've seen, it moves all over the place. Mm, mm. And, and those that do well longer term, assuming the business does well, are those that hold through that. Yeah. And the only way you're going to hold through that is if you've got conviction. Yeah. And the only way you're going to have conviction is if you do <laughs> no, the yeah. work, yeah, yeah, you know? Exactly. And so that, that's what I would all very right. much encourage you to do. No. Uh, <laughs> this company is a... <laughs> See, that was a quick answer. Yeah, no, <laughs> pass. pass. Oh, well, I, I love medical companies and yeah. biotech companies because investing in them sometimes feels like a charitable endeavour. And a no. company like this that burns up capital, it's almost like uh, yeah. investing in a charity. Yeah, yeah, but you don't get the tax deduction. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. I mean, a market cap 
capitalization of $74 million. Their last yeah. quarter receipts was 1.2 mil. Right. So on my calculations, you know, if they've got receipts of five mil a year, that's, you know, how many times? 15 times price of sales, not five. Right. Yeah. So extremely expensive yeah. for a $74 million company. It's yeah. only writing that those receipts. And those receipts aren't going up. So we don't have positive momentum here. They've said because of COVID-19, um, if you have a look at the previous corresponding period, the receipts then was 1.4 mil, so it's mm. actually coming down. Uh-huh. And you think that in this type of environment where you are seeing a lot of hospitalizations and a lot of demand for hospitals, that it would be the perfect environment for a company like this. I mean, there's three key products here. One is the uh, G-patch, which is used in hospitals to monitor ECG, temperature, yeah. um, blood pressure, things like that. And then there is the Prisma, and that turns your mobile phone into a medical device so you can monitor yourself at home. And then they have this other platform where you can keep track of patients who have been discharged to make sure that they're okay. So you'd think that this environment would be perfect and yeah. yet receipts are falling compared to last year. Okay. So, all right. No. So, all right, as a, as a fund manager and the way you look at it for Berman Invest, your fund, um, do you say, Okay, a bit like Andrew saying, well, yeah, there are a lot of great companies out there, might be about to take off. And then you're just saying, hey, there are easier investments in this area if you had to classify it. Absolutely. I mean, some of the things that I look for is momentum within the underlying business. I think that's very important to an improving outlook for the business, which increases business valuations. And then... um, I try not to get sucked into the stories because right. in the past that's where things have gone wrong. A great story where you know it's easy to sell, but the underlying numbers don't really back it up. And right. to me, you know, G Medical, it's a great story, but when I look at the numbers, well, where's the momentum? Yeah. Okay. All right. Great advice there. Uh, there you go, Izzy. Thank you for that suggestion. Um, Ray has asked for an opinion, Julia, on Eight Common. Now, this is. Um, another one of these uh, software companies, SaaS businesses, um, in uh, compl- does software solutions for um, maintaining your expense accounts and performance. It does registry. It does a. Mm. It's really administration software package, isn't it? Yeah, um, I'm probably neutral on this one. It's too small for me. It's only got a $10 million market capitalization. So it's a tiny company that specializes in travel and um, expenses for companies. It does have some big clients on board, Bulwars, Amcor, government agencies, which is great to see. But because it's such a small company in such a large area, the, the problem not is with existing clients that tend to be sticky. Once they've uh, got a platform in place through a big company, it's very difficult to switch Um, platforms. The problem is in new business. So because they are relatively small, if a better product comes along um, and there are big companies working on these with much deeper pockets, then perhaps new sales will be harder to do. So it looks pretty good at the moment. For a $10 million company, March revenue was, uh, March quarter revenue was 1.1 mil, which isn't bad. And that was up by 10%. But the question I ask with this company is what's it going to look like in 10 years time? Yep. And that's where my lack of confidence comes in. Right, okay. Andrew? Yeah, this one's actually, it's, it's only ranked about 97 on Strawman, but right. it's, it's climbing the rankings fast and it's actually been backed by some of our, our better performing members. So it's, it, it made me sit up and, and pay attention. Mm, okay. 
Um, so, you know, with, with travel management solutions, that area of the business has obviously taken a hit. They still managed to grow for the year, transactional revenue up 5%, um, but down 17% from the preceding quarter, which, which um, is just a sign of the times that we're in. Um, what's nice about it is about three quarters of their revenue is uh, recurring in nature. Um, uh, and a lot of that, I think the vast majority of that from federal and state governments as well. Right. So they're very dependable. Pe okay. uh, 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 customers, they're not going out of business. Yep. Uh, as Julia said, they're extremely um, sticky. They went. They had a bit of a checkered history. They sort of repivoted and refocused their efforts, and and that that was actually um, really gaining traction before sort of um, uh, more recently COVID hit. So, look, um, SaaS revenue, the recurring software component of that revenue, there was up thirty percent. Uh, in, in the most recent year, in FY20, and they're tracking at 48% growth in the first quarter. Mm. So yeah, it is a super competitive space, um, but this is, this is about sort of, um, uh, what, as Julia said, whether they can maintain the momentum in, in the underlying fundamentals. Bit of a hiccup with what's going on at the moment. If you can see through that, and it looks like it's, 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 um, they should easily kind of survive, um, and they can return to growth, it actually looks pretty decent value to me. Okay, yeah. all right, so a tick and um, just to explain, Strawman is um, an investment club, if you like, yeah, isn't it? Of exactly. Like, like-minded um, investors. Well, hopefully and, not too like-minded. No, no, no. Yeah. And you swap ideas, don't you? And that's yep. what, when you say it ranks 97th, um, this is um, uh, the investment club ranks all the good opportunities. Everyone's got a $100,000 virtual portfolio. They can yep. buy and sell what they like. And then we just take the most popular holdings and, and we, we, we just rank them. Yeah. Uh, we take all the holdings, in fact, and we rank them. We, we put them into an index as well. So, yeah, it's... It's, it's, it's um, like the ARIA music charts. Yeah, it is. It's for share investments. The, the wisdom of from, the crowd. Really. The it's a great yeah. idea because, you know, as an investor, the hardest thing is to try and work out what to buy. So yeah. something that generates ideas. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing is that we just want to put accountability behind. I mean, everyone's got an opinion, right? So it's, it's, we, we want to be able to sort of give our users a view as to who's making that opinion and, yeah. and what kind of track record do they have. Yeah. Strawman.com. Just.com. Strawman.com. Just.com. Okay. All right. There you go, Ray. Um, a... No from Julia, a, a yes from Andrew. Now, um, Andrew, everyone's focused on gold. What about silver? When I was when I started in June, there's always this theory of a link between gold and silver tracking up together. Uh, Vishal has asked for a, an opinion on the ETF physical silver. Pass. <coughs> it, it, and and, and not, not for, I'm not going to be able to give you any... Um, firm reason because it's just so far out of my circle of competence. And I think that's actually one of the best things you can be aware of as an investor. I mean, there's, you know, the share market represents all of society and humanity in some way, shape or form. And, and when it comes to silver, any sort of glance at, at history will tell you it's an extremely volatile commodity. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's gone up lately in terms of the, the price of silver, but you know, it's, it's been up a lot more before and a lot down. Does, and does it, it really tag along gold? I have no idea. Yeah. Yes, it's, uh, the, the little brother of gold. I mean, you're yeah. looking at silver. At least and it's got an industrial use and like a, a, a you know an economic value. Gold just sits in the uh, under in vaults. It doesn't it doesn't do much unless you're building. I'm on the other side. I like shiny, pretty things. <laughs> <laughs> so gold, silver, um, but there is a time for it in the portfolio. And I guess the biggest thing with gold and silver at the moment is that you've seen this big spike up. So with silver, I guess the last time besides uh, 2020 that you saw this big move up was back in 
2011, where you saw a move from about $27 to $37 US an ounce. Um, and then you would have said, oh, it's gone up too far, it's too overbought. But then it went on to new highs to 45. Mm. And the key here is that we are seeing um, a lot of stimulus coming through, a lot of debt taken on by governments around the globe, and money supply is just going in one direction. And that creates the perfect conditions for hard commodities, not only right. gold, silver, but even the miners and you know iron ore is doing relatively well because the fact is that you know commodities are based on US dollars US dollars yeah. and with the amount of debt that's being taken on by the US government you are seeing weakness in the US currency and while you probably will see pullbacks in silver and gold look you haven't seen a setup like this in so long for these hard commodities on pullbacks um, and using technical okay. analysis is good in this area okay so technical analysis is that it'll go higher. Well, and if you have a look at the macro conditions. Right. For me, when you're looking at something like gold or silver, you really have to look at the macro conditions. Yeah. It's a macro play. You're looking at what's happening from governments and central banks around the globe. And, um, you know, it's unprecedented what yeah. we're seeing. Is it, is it fair to say the deeper the recession, the more we'll invest in gold and that pushes yeah. it up? But if the recession isn't as deep, I mean, will come off. There's, a, there's a few ways to look at gold. One, as you mentioned, is as a safe haven asset. Yep. Um, I look at it as an alternative to the US currency, so it's more around central yep. banks and governments. And then I guess um, when you're looking at a safe haven play, I don't necessarily think it's a safe haven play because I've been through the global financial crisis and when everything gets sold off, everything gets sold off, including gold and including yep. gold companies. And that's because people need access to capital, usually to cover margins or any other obligations that they have. So right. during a big crash, uh, I don't think gold helps you too much okay. because everything is sold off, but certainly in an environment where you are seeing yep. the amount of quantitative easing, money supply going in one direction, you know, we've never seen a setup like yep. this that's more ideal for precious metals. Gold versus silver? I mean, I'm a gold bug right. um, because okay. silver is so difficult to invest in here in Australia. So you've probably got the ETF, which we're looking at right. at the moment. But with gold, you've got so many other alternatives. Right. You've got okay. gold miners that are leveraged to that yeah. gold price. Okay. All right. There you go, uh, Vishal. Um, I, um, a no from Andrew, yes from Julia. Um, our four, uh, fifth stock, Citadel Group, has been suggested by Melissa. Again, an, another sort of software company. <laughs> Um, but directed to the, again to the health industry, uh, healthcare market, improving health outcomes for um, for patients. I think it's mainly focused in hospitals, Julia, isn't it, rather yeah. than people at home and monitoring them. Hospitals, also governments and. Yeah. Um, I uh, governments and universities as well. So enterprise software, very popular at the moment for managing data and systems. Um, and most of the enterprise uh, type of companies that's looking at software as a service have been seeing strong rates of growth. Now this particular uh, company, it's defensive in nature because the contracts are long-term in nature. The question mark I would have around a company like this is around new business spent. Um, mm. So governments, um, spending mm, yeah. a lot in terms of COVID-19, yeah. but it's the educational component that I'm worried about. I know that universities are cost-cutting at the moment. They're laying off staff, international students aren't there to help out. So it's the education sector that I'm worried about that it's highly exposed to. So right. this is exposed to health, governments, as well as education. And my question mark would be around the growth over the next two to three years. Okay, so you'd wait on that. Yeah, I, I like to see grow, growth companies, so no rush. 
there is a defensive uh, cash flow from existing contracts, but really for the share price to move higher, you need new contracts yeah. to come through. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm not too proud to say that I'm actually a shareholder in, in Citadel. Oh. And my timing, the chart was up before, I, I got it at the start of the year. Um, they made a huge acquisition over in the UK, a company called Wellbeing, lovely mm. characteristics. They paid a pretty penny for it. And they raised a bunch of capital and debt at that time too, which in hindsight was just phenomenal timing. Yeah. Um, because it, it mm. happened before, before everything before sort March. of went pear-shaped. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can see that fall there was absolutely spectacular. A 75% peak to trough fall there. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's a very difficult one. Um, Yes, some of their sectors will be under trouble, but, but health is, is the big one now. Wellbeing has an extremely good position in the UK market. This gives them a very, very big foot in the door. It was an EPS accretive, so it's, it's, it's going to contribute um, uh, positively to profit on a per share basis in the first couple of years, which is really nice. And the whole idea here is to sort of this foot in the door gives them an opportunity to sort of expand that presence, but also cross-sell their existing healthcare uh, products yep. into there as well. They also do a lot of stuff on site cybersecurity, which a very strong tailwind there. And in fact, that's, that was sort of their meat and potatoes for a long time. And they did, they did very well out of that. So they've, they've had a good history. They're good management. Um, they've had a lot of history of making acquisitions that have worked out well. But it has not worked out well for me so far. And right. having sort of dusted things off recently and, and come back and had a look at it, I think it's probably around fair value now. Um, but we really want to see whether they can actually get some, get some of these... Um, uh, ambitions realised in the right. UK. That's okay. that's what it's about. So at you want to you want to see the the acquisition settle down. Yeah. Before yeah. you you buy. The, the NHS has got this big move to to modernise their entire system there, and right. they've actually been mandated to increase their technology spend. Yeah. So it's a, wonder, a wonderful environment. Yeah. Of course, yeah. every healthcare company in the UK is touting the same thing on their presentation right. decks, and yeah. not everyone's <laughs> going to win in it. So it, it, you know, when the rubber meets the road, they've actually got to yeah. sort of execute here. But I, I do think it's got a great history. Uh, I am a shareholder. It has not worked out for me well so far, um, but it's, it's a small position and I'm willing to sort of let it ride for the moment. Okay. All right. So hold on if you're there. Yeah. All right. That's our uh, fifth stock, um, a no from both uh, Andrew and Julia. Just to recap the, the first five, including our stock of the day, Temple and Webster, uh, a yes from Julia and certainly a watch from Andrew. Quick one without notice, Julia. Uh, Kogan versus Temple and Webster. Uh, Temple and Webster. Temple and Webster. Okay. All right. That, that was pretty definite mm. um, in that online retail area. Um, Oswide Bank. A yes from Julia. No from um, from Andrew. Uh, G Medical. No from both. Acom. Um, um, a, a basically a, a watch from you, Julia. Was it? Yeah. It looks like value, but value. the long term. Uh, trajectory. I'm yeah, more yeah. worried about it's more ten million dollars. Yep. yep. Andrew, a no. Uh, oh yes. Uh, yeah. Oh yes from you. Yep. Sorry. Yes from you. Um, the ETF silver. Uh, a yes from Julia. Not interested from Andrew. And uh, a no for Citadel. Although it seems fair value, good company. Andrew, what's the term? Uh, really wait to see how that acquisition in the UK mm. pans out. All right, let's get stuck into the uh, second half of the call. And our fifth stock, um, another sort of medical one, Julia, Optia, um, which is um, into eye treatments, isn't it? And um, um, is got some treatments for macular degeneration and, 
Yeah. I like this one. Eye issues from diabetes. So it's a really interesting business. I like this one. I think uh, a few years ago I was on a panel for the small and mid cap um, conference for the ASX. And my top pick for that conference was ProMedicus, and it did oh, really yeah. well. It more than doubled that oh, year. Yeah. But, Go um, ProMedicus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, right. another right. panelist <laughs> was the CEO of Optia, um, right. and that did better. Oh. <laughs> so I became very interested in what Optia It did better than ProMedicus? <laughs> yes, it did better. Wow. Um, wow. So Optia looks at um, eye diseases, in particular wet, yeah. um, age-related um, muscular degeneration, which is a leading cause of blindness when you mm. get older. It's a massive market, as you can imagine, as you get older and you lose your sight, um, which is probably why you also lose your license. Um, It's a big thing to do. Optia has been having some great results. It's 2B trial results um, are looking really promising, um, which is great to see. Um, You can probably see the 1,000% return it's had over the last five years. which has really happened since the start of 2019. Yeah, (laughs) but because this is such a big market, Mm. I think the key for Optia is to enter into a partnership. um, And that's how it's going to realise its commercialisation benefits with any medical company which is basically valued on one product, which is OPT um, 302, which is what makes up the valuation of Optia. Um, There is always risk that the clinical trial won't meet its endpoint. So that is a, a risk, even though the results so far have been really promising. So yeah, I like this one. Okay. Yeah, um, I when I was looking at this, I, I did see there's a bunch of clinical trials in the pipeline, and they're encouraging. And it's just, I'm, as an investor, you're trying to get a sense of value, and, and to get a sense of value, you need sort of some visibility to future cash flows. And there's just a very, you sort of look out in the future and there's two very different paths. There's the path where they, they absolutely get the clinical trials through, they commercialize it well and it goes off to make a fortune. Yeah. Um, the statistically more common outcome is that they don't pass through the trials. And even if they do, the, the commercialization takes a long period of time and takes a lot of money too. They've already increased their share count fivefold over the last five years to sort of get, get to this stage. That's normal, that's, that's, that's how it goes, but it is extraordinarily dilutive, of course, to the shareholders that have been in there. So it's, um, w- when I look at something like this, I absolutely take note of, of the potential and the market and the technology. It's very interesting, but you live and die on whether or not these clinical trials get through. Yeah. And unless you've got a great deal of expertise in that space and you, you, can, you can have a reasonable guess as to whether that's going to be, it, it, it becomes a bit of a, a coin flip, um, for me anyway. And so it's come back to that circle of confidence outside of mine, very right. truly. Right. Simeon, great suggestion. Thank you for sending that through. Um, Rob has asked for an opinion on 3P Learning. This is, a, if you like, an online tutoring business. If um, you've had to fork out money for your children uh, for math seeds, mathletics, reading eggs, spellodrome, or word flyers, this is a way of getting some of your money back, maybe, um, because this is the company that produces them all, Julia. I'm addicted to Mathletics. <laughs> it's actually my daughter's app, but I'm on there every day. <laughs> it's a great app. Um, and Reading Eggs, and really she gets it through the school. So it's about uh, selling into schools um, and then handing the licenses out. And I like it because not only is there a reward system in play, but the parents um, can also track as well as the teachers being yep. able to track. So. Um, um, you know, 
my daughter's allowed to use the iPad if she does uh, mathematics as well as uh, reading right. eggs. So she okay. does it every day. Oh, um, and in a COVID-19 environment where um, there was lockdown, I said, okay. you know, just focus on your maths and your reading and everything else is goes oh, by the wayside. Okay. Just go out and play. And of course, we're in a COVID-19 environment. Yeah. Share price reflecting that too, is it? Yes. Um, so this is about selling into new markets, I think, and it has been selling outside of Australia, which is great to see. It's a global marketplace. Um, and look, the structural shift to online learning, I don't think that's yeah. going to stop anytime soon. So to have an ASX company focused on that, I think yeah. is a great thing. And parents, well, not, I'm not saying you. But I'm not a tiger mum no, no, at no. all, <laughs> <laughs> even though it sounds oh, like oh, it. I was going to say, and parents who want their kids to be geniuses, uh, tutoring will not go away. My mum always says it's much better not to be at the top of the pack or the bottom of the pack, just be in the middle. Right. Life's much easier <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> look, um, back in, what, 2015, $2.34, now mm. down to $1.03. Um, this came up as an alternative, Andrew, on the call uh, earlier in the week um, when we had a suggestion for Kit McGrath. Oh, yes. Uh, which is the sort of physical tutoring yes. business yeah um this was seen as a better alternative because it's all online too. yeah i mean look it's a different business but it is it's a business that's got a long history they've got good products it's in our household as well <laughs> yeah. um for some reason our kids aren't interested in maths if it's on pen and paper but if it's in on a screen and it's gamified they're a lot more interested yeah. in it so it, you know um we like it for that um mathletics is the main game in town here for these of all those products that 75 percent of their revenue is from mathletics they had, as we saw from the share price there, they've had a bit of a bad run and a bit of a strategic uh, rejig there, uh, reinvigorate and expand the software set. So that just is, is a long-winded way of saying a lot more investment <laughs> um, and money you have to put into the business to sort of reposition them. Supposedly, they're through that period of investment now. Um, uh, their uh, operating profit is going to be a little bit flat this year. They say that's largely due to the timing of sales uh, and some higher commission rates for, for some of their sales guys. Um, but but they, they have a, a growing presence in the US. And as Julia sort of said, this is, this is where you, you want to watch. If they can get some traction in the US, um, they will do extremely well. Yeah. And what I always, always grabs my attention is, I mean, this is a profitable, generating free cash flow, zero debt, about $25 million in cash. So that's that's nice, big big chunk of, of recurring revenue, but they're not again far from this break-even point. And again, so so we're going to have this high margin sales pushing forward on a on a steady cost base. Mm. You only need about ten percent sales growth, and you could double your earnings type thing. Um, so oh, this is the question: yeah, yeah. can can they do that? One of the things that they were a very early mover in this space, mm -hmm. um, particularly in, in Australia, they they're just in every kind of school. Um, but the, the competitive dynamic is changing very rapidly. Um, and, and one of the things to look out for is you, there's a lot of other offerings out there. And right. you've, as a software company, you've always got to sort of stay on the forefront there. So that's mm -hmm. going to mean a lot of ongoing investment. And it's just something to watch out for because when, when, these, when these transitions happen, if the new, the new hotness comes along and yeah. schools start switching, that, that can happen very, very quickly. Right. So, it, so it's something to watch out for. I actually think it's very interesting. I, I put it on my watch list that it was 80 cents. I wish I'd actually done something about it because it's up 25% <laughs> since yeah. then. Yeah. But I, I absolutely think it's, it's, it's probably um, uh, a bit more of a speculative buy at this stage. I don't hold it, but I am watching it. Okay. The other thing is it looks like it's not only moving into overseas markets, but um, it looks like it's moving in age groups as well. So mm. um, 
my preschooler, who's three, is now coming home saying she's doing reading eggs in preschool. <laughs> okay. She's oh, like, I want to do reading eggs at home. I'm like, oh, but you're three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good, is it? So you like it? Yes, yes. All right. Okay, so um, a yes from Julia and uh, a speculative buy from, from Andrew, if you like. All right, let's go to the uh, uh, a different sort of entertainment business now, rather maths and words and, and children, nine entertainment. Um, Martin wants uh, an opinion on that. Um, Matt owns the City Morning Herald and The Age and also the, uh, the nine broadcasting group as well. So um, one of the... Um, the huge entertainment uh, media business. Number two position, right, Koshi? Uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, only, in, only in breakfast they can't. <laughs> uh, they do alright the rest of the day. <laughs> I guess when you have a look at nine entertainment asset, assets and where the share price is, um, it does look like there's value there. The problem with value is that um, you know value doesn't talk about the outlook for the company or the growth perspective yeah. for the company. And I've been quite negative on. Um, companies that rely on marketing spend. So whether it's WPP or Media or Nine, which is more traditional advertising, uh, this is not the environment where advertising is going to just completely boom. Right. It's a depressed environment for advertising. And anyone who's worked in any large organization knows when the hard times hit, the first thing to go is the marketing budget mm -hmm. um, and advertising spend. So look, when bad times hit for a company like Nine Entertainment, it is about cost cutting and tightening the belt. And they have been looking at a three year, $150 million structural cost out. And they've seen, uh, I guess, a refocus on that cost out and accelerating that because of, of COVID-19. So while there's value there, I'm not attracted to value stocks for the sake of value. I want to see an improving outlook. And unfortunately for Nine Entertainment, I actually see a declining outlook rather than okay. an improving one. Andrew? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of parts to this business. So yep. definitely got the mastheads that you mentioned, the Nine Network, um, but they've got Stan uh, as well. Yes, um, which is... Doing well. It's done really, oh. well. It's done really, really well. well. Surprisingly, I've got to say. Why well, surprisingly? I, I, I got had stand for a little while and I yeah. wasn't much to watch. Billions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I like to have a business with a bit of wind at its back, you yeah. know. And I also like simple businesses because I've, I've got a pretty simple mind. And there's a lot of moving parts <laughs> uh, to, to all of this. So it, it, there, there would be a point where this becomes a very attractive value play. It's just not there for me right. yet. Okay, all right, so a no for nine from both Andrew and uh, Julia. Um, speaking of um, sort of structural problems and maybe not having the wind at its back at the moment, uh, Tanya, Andrew wants a view on Air New Zealand. Yeah, <laughs> I think we'll look back in five years' time and we will see some examples of, wow, imagine if we could have yeah. picked that up at this. Yeah. I mean, things are- Is this one of them? I don't know. It's 74% drop in passenger numbers in June, yeah. right? Um, and and they've, they've recommenced some domestic uh, travel. That's going okay because of the, the situation in, in New Zealand. But it, it's an airline. And airlines, I mean, there's every business school in the world gives gives case studies mm, on airlines yeah. for very good reason. Oh, Warren Buffett's very good. Oh, he hates Well, you know, and then, he's, <laughs> and then, then Berkshire bought some not that long yeah, ago. So, yeah. But it, 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 it's, um, it, it's, I actually consider it a commodity style um, business. Mm. You know, an airplane seat for most people is an air, airplane seat. You know, I need yeah. to get from Sydney to Melbourne and, and what's the cheapest that's sort of out there. So you have these really diabolical competitive pressures on a, on a business that is massively, massively capital intensive, highly, highly competitive. 
Um, they, they were running their business extremely well for a long time for yeah. an airline. So they're really one of the top airlines in the world. But the, the, the million dollar question here is, is how quick do we come out of this thing? Mm. And, and no one really knows, let's face it. Uh, we look like we were past well, it here in Australia not that long ago. And New Zealand have also said that they're not doing uh, flights to Sydney, Melbourne, Australia till the 28th of August. They're not taking any new bookings because oh. of the um, restraints coming into areas like Sydney where um, oh. they don't want to overload the number of people going into quarantine. Oh. So they're restricting the number of people and, on and flights. And Anastasia Pavlache just this morning saying, no one from Sydney can go to Queensland. Right. So, Libra and I had sort of booked a week in Port Douglas <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Okay. Hopefully, we've got a cancellation for you on this. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, Air New Zealand, though? Yeah, so look, Air New Zealand, I think, for the short term, deteriorating outlook. But I think this is one that if you just bought a little bit of it and tucked it away for five years, you'd be fine. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, New Zealand's very similar to Australia in that it is oh. an island. and. You know, if you don't have a, a national carrier, then if you're, yeah. you know, if something goes okay. wrong, it's a, it's a right. strategic I'm, asset. I keep picking your brain as, as a fund manager today because um, I think it's important we can all learn from it because your fund is doing extraordinarily well at the moment. Berman Invest, go and have a look at it, uh, particularly if you've got a self-managed super fund. Um, yes. Um, 50,000 minimum, 50, I think, to go into it. So it's really for the self-managed super fund investor or professionals. Um, but is that how you think as an investment manager? You know, Air New Zealand, I'll tuck a little bit away in, yeah. in the fund like this and you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be patient. I do think it's very different managing a fund compared to investing for your, your personal portfolio. Right. For your personal portfolio, you can just tuck it away right. and then it doesn't matter, you just look at it in five years' time. But for a fund manager, you're, you're basically judged on a monthly basis, quarterly right. basis, so you okay. have to take into account timing, which I don't mind because I do like the technical side of things yeah. as well as the fundamental and looking at, at the macro. But timing becomes, uh, I think, a lot more important in terms of funds right. these days and probably okay. even managing companies these days because yep. you're basically judged on a quarterly basis. Yep. Okay, all right, interesting advice. So Air New Zealand could be one of those <laughs> that in five years time you go, I was a genius, but you've got to be patient and it may not happen. So, you, you got <laughs> But it's a well-run company, well-run yeah. company. Unless we have another pandemic. No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully that vaccine comes through. Um, our final stock has been suggested by Kay and uh, Juliet Cooper Energy. Mm. Um, um, gas, basically gas production, exploration. Um, yeah. had, had a few issues, didn't it, with one of its processing Projects? plants. Yes, um, the sole project. Yeah, which yeah. Which means that there's no unusual for an <laughs> extraction yeah. company. Yeah, I guess when you're having a look at an oil and gas company like this, you're looking at exposure. And um, for Cooper Energy, it's a little bit different. It's not exposed to the East Coast, which is looking very attractive. It's exposed to the Southwest um, oh. of Australia. The, the problem with Cooper Energy is its sole project. It's been running into issues. It hasn't, um, it hasn't sorted through those issues, which means that it can't give guidance, which means there's a lot of uncertainty in terms right. of this stock because of the ongoing issues at our sole project. So given um, those issues, I'd probably be sticking on the sidelines with this right. one. Okay. Andrew? No, not, not for me. Um, it, it, it's just, it's the nature of the industry. I know I'm a broken record when it comes to this, but I mean, the, the great thing as a personal investor is you've got 2,000 different companies to choose from. Yeah. Arguably, 
15 stocks is all you ever need. And, and you've got to ask yourself, am I going to get involved in something that has failed to ever consistently make a profit, yeah. operates in a massively capital intensive, extremely difficult um, uh, space, uh, you know, where the outlook is so vague and difficult, it just, it's just too hard. And, and, you know, Buffett talks all the time about, you know, looking for one foot bars to step over and not trying. There's no extra points for degrees of difficulty yeah. in this game, you know? <laughs> if I can get a 10% return off a very safe, reliable, easy to understand yeah. business versus 10% off an extraordinarily complex esoteric business, I mean, the former is, is immeasurably better yeah. on a risk adjusted basis. And so, I think that there are people who do well in this space, yeah. but they're people who know the industry inside and out and and and, and, and know the, the strategic advantages of, of these individual businesses. That's a huge amount of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they had a good report recently. I, I noticed when I when I dug up some, some announcements, you know, quarterly production doubled recently, quarterly revenue up 61%, but it's just as liable to be down 61%. And it's so, so again, you know, I'm, I'm such a party pooper when it comes to this, and I'm sure everyone hates me for it, but, but it's not for me. <laughs> Let's recap the, uh, the final five stocks. Opvia, uh, a no from Andrew because um, wants to see the, the clinical trials for its, um, its um, eye um, sort of uh, technology that it's bringing through. Julia likes a good company. Um, and its initial clinical trials were really good. Uh, 3P Learning, a yes from Julia, speculated by from, uh, from Andrew, a no on Nine Entertainment, a no on Air New Zealand, and uh, a no on Cooper Energy for both of them. Uh, Julia Lee, good to see you from Berman Invest. Go and check out the website and the fun that Julia runs. It's a beauty. And Andrew from strawman.com. If you want to join the, uh, the Investor Club there, go and have a look as well. Uh, look, just before we uh, head to a very short break, oh, reminder, if you want to send us in some suggestions for stocks, you can by emailing the call at ausbiz.com.au or through Twitter uh, using the at TV Twitter handle. Be a bit patient. People often sort of announce that and you get a bit grumpy with us saying, after a week or two, why haven't you covered my <laughs> stock? We're getting lots of suggestions, but believe me, we will get around to it. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.